Well, what a powerful message in that song right there. Um, we, we've all got a call that, uh, that He has for us to do, and let that be your, let that be your testimony. I want you to think for a moment, if, uh, if you're, you're out on the, the street and maybe about your business or uh, shopping or whatever the case may be, and a um, total stranger were to come up to you and ask, uh, what is God like? You answer them. Um, it, it might be that you'd think for a moment and then you'd start telling them, wow, He, he created the universe. Um, there came a time when He nearly destroyed the universe because of the sin of man. You might begin to tell them how He sent His Son Jesus, how He saved your soul, how He's coming again, and they interrupt you and they say, no, no, my question is, what is God like? Would you be able to answer that question? Uh, what is God like? Um, we've had some good Sunday school series and lessons in the past uh, year or two, and, and one on... Uh, uh, doctrine comes to mind, and we, we reviewed the very attributes of God. So maybe your mind would go towards uh, attributes of God or, or properties or characteristics, and you'd, you, you might choose words like, well, He's omniscient, He's omnipotent, He's, he's love, He's righteous, He's just, he's, he's full of mercy or grace, and maybe a light bulb, hopefully a light bulb will go off in your head. You know, there's one, that, one attribute of God that has such impact on so many others, and you would proclaim, God is holy. And uh, I want us to take a few minutes today and, and, and look at that very thing, that, at, at God's holiness. Uh, the, the Bible, God's Word is, is replete. It's full of uh, attributes of God. And, and if there's one that, to me, that seems prominent, it's His holiness. And uh, um, let's go to Exodus chapter 3, if you will. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is the first time in the Word of God uh, where the word holy is used, and it's a, it's a story that many of you are familiar with. It's, a, it's in, the, in the day of Moses. Um, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and it reads this, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Now, that seems like a pretty passive response to seeing a bush that's burning but not consumed. But Moses turns aside, and he goes to see this great sight. Verse 4 continues and says, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And get what the Lord said to Moses. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And there was great conversation that went on between God and Moses from there, but I want us to pick out of verse 5 right there the fact that there's something really special about the place where a holy God exists. Amen. And um, in fact, God told Moses himself, you're going to have to make a few changes. First things first, don't approach. And second, take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. And, and I hope that it became apparent. And verse 6 kind of gives you the understanding that Moses got what was going on here. But 
But it was evident to Moses that he might have to make some changes. He was going to have to make some changes uh, to deal with this holy God that has just invited him to come closer. And um, hopefully today we'll see that same thing. I want to lay a groundwork of uh, some, some, uh, um, some things in the Old Testament before we hop over to things in the New Testament. So just bear with me. I'll try to paint a picture and build up on this. But I want us to look at uh, just a little bit of Exodus and a little bit of Leviticus, maybe in five minutes, just give a 101 on those, those, two, those two books. And it's an impossibility, but we're going to make an effort on it. So as the, as the book continues, Exodus, the, the, the book of Exodus continues, it, it becomes apparent that, that, that this book of Exodus is far more, it's about far more than a people leaving Egypt. We know the event was called the Exodus, right? And, and, and perhaps that's one of the great events in the, in the book there. But there's a lot more in this book of Exodus than just uh, the, the uh, departure of the children of Israel from Egypt back towards the promised land. This book as a whole is about a redemption. And, and scattered all throughout that book, uh, it becomes apparent that worship and fellowship and, and service... These are all expressions of one's position of redemption, which is dependent upon a redeemer, and that being very, the very Christ who is a holy God. Also in the book of Exodus, on this theme of redemption, God gives instruction on the law. He gives the law to Moses. He gives instruction on the temple and the, the creation, the building uh, of, of the temple, and he, he gives instruction on the provisions of sacrifice, what all the instruments of worship should be, the instruments of sacrifice, what the altar is, and uh, the, the holy place, and the holy of holies. He gives instruction on the priesthood, and, and who is qualified for that, and, and, and in that, taken as a whole, just like the message that God gave to Moses on that day in Exodus chapter 3, God is painting a picture that this thing of redemption, there may have to be some changes made in our lives for this thing called redemption. God has a lot of uh, requirements on that. And, and basically, in a nutshell, through keeping the statutes that God set down on, again, the law, the temple, the sacrifice, the priesthood, um, through keeping those statutes, the person of, of Moses' day, of that day, could walk with a holy God. God made it possible that His creation, man, could walk with a holy God. But it's on God's terms. It's on His method. It's on His way. The way that He told Moses, put off your feet, you're on holy ground. Now while Exodus is the record of redemption, um, the very next book, Leviticus, gives some practical instruction on a walk with God. Well, what I mean by practical is this. Consider this for a moment, the difference between the Gospels and the Epistles, all right, in the New Testament. Uh, the Gospels, we have a record of Christ coming to this earth, being born, uh, growing, calling His disciples, teaching them, training them, preparing them to go spread the Gospels throughout the world. He's here with and among them, instructing them. Uh, we, we have the accounts of his, of his death, his burial, his resurrection. But there's teaching and provisions made for basically Christ is saying, I am not going to be here always, but I'm preparing you to take this message throughout the whole world. Right? That was his local instruction. 
with them, just like Exodus was instruction to Moses for the people. Here's the provisions for redemption. Christ is saying, look, this is a, this is a, a new time. This is the church age now. And, and here are the rules of this spreading this gospel throughout the world. So that's the gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now the epistles, the letters that we read, the, the letters of Paul and, and, and Peter and James and the epistles that we have in the New Testament, they give practical application on how we can continue to do that, right? Now, days of that age, letters written by Paul to churches and how you need to continue to do what Christ instructed while he was here. So you see the difference there between firsthand account from God to man Second-hand account from man saying, hey, I edify you and I exhort you to continue to do this. Here's practical advice on how you carry that out. Well, that's the relationship between Exodus and Leviticus in the Old Testament days. God gave to Moses, these are the provisions for worship. These are the provisions for man to maintain a relationship with a holy God. And Leviticus comes along behind and gives practical uh, application on how that's done. That's the relationship of Leviticus. Well, some of the things in, in the book of Leviticus is this. Um, the, uh, the key word in Leviticus, anybody want to guess, is based on the title, is holiness, is the key word in Leviticus. The key verse being Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2 says, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Man, he... Uh, he kind of set that out. He said, again, the instruction was given, be ye holy as I am holy. Ye shall be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the underlying um, message in Leviticus. And there's practical steps all throughout the book on how mankind might do that. And again, it falls back on practical application of the law, practical institution of the law, the, the, the temple, the provisions of sacrifice, how it would be done, what feasts there are. And, and again, just God expounds upon those things uh, in that book of Leviticus. Again, the, the key being that mankind can enjoy the redemption that he has and enjoy fellowship, the redemption that he has from God and enjoy fellowship with a holy God. There are ways that he can do that. Old Testament days. Consider another part of God's creation. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, if you will. Isaiah chapter 6. You know, there is a being created just for the purpose of proclaiming God's holiness. You remember what that is? What's that beast called? That angel, if you will. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Man, what, a, what an awesome picture that gives of something that God created with the sole purpose of declaring his very holiness. Some things to note about those seraphims, they had six wings. And four of those wings were to facilitate um, humility. What did he say? With two of them, he covered his face. And with two of them, they covered their feet. Uh, again, respect, showing humility and respect to the God that they're proclaiming the holiness of. And two of them, two, set, two wings were there to facilitate their work or their service for that God because they were used to fly, fly about the kingdom and cry out His holiness. They had a voice where they could proclaim the very holiness of God. 
This is a being created by God to, cre- to, to proclaim His holiness, and they were faithful to do so. God is a holy God, so much so He created these seraphims to do that very thing. Fast forward into the book of Revelation, and you see the beasts, the four beasts that are given. They paint a very similar picture, six wings, and they're flying about the kingdom, crying and proclaiming His holiness. Our God is a holy God. Now, these things that we've looked at in, in the Old Testament, in Exodus, and how God laid out the provisions for worship, and how God made it possible, and He stated that, yes, a, a man can have a redemptive relationship, God being the Redeemer, man being the recipient, and he can maintain fellowship with a holy God. Um, you may think and, and that that's Old Testament stuff, that where, where God said, hey, be ye holy, I, the Lord your God, am holy, you also be holy. That's Old Testament stuff, and, and, and that's true. Um, but if we were to fast forward over to the New Testament, you might just be surprised, probably not be the Sunday morning crowd, but God's still a holy God. The same God that cried that out, that created the seraphims, that, that wanted that relationship with Moses, that created the heavens and the earth and ordained the Sabbath on that, on that seventh day, He's still holy. He's still God and He's still a holy God and He still desires a relationship with sinful man with Him, a holy God. And I wanted, I wanted to lay the groundwork on the Old Testament so you see that a lot of things that, that are in place today are not a whole lot unlike where He instituted in the Old Testament. So God's still a holy God. Our holy God still desires a relationship with Him. Um, he desires that we walk with Him. And just like He made provisions in the Old Testament, these are the requirements for a, for a sinful man to have a relationship with a holy God. He has those same, relationship, or those same requirements of us today on how we might maintain a relationship with a holy God. Um, he still has requirements. Let's look at a few of those requirements. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you will. And um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. We're going to settle into um, 1 Corinthians 6 here, here in just a little bit, but, but let's visit a few more verses. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. Remember the temple was instituted there in Exodus, and it was given instruction on how it must be built. Um, there's a temple. The temple's one thing that's changed from Old Testament days to now. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, and which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I won't dwell much on that. We're going to return to that here in a moment. But the priest and the sacrifice, again, which was instituted uh, in Exodus, uh, practical advice given on that in Leviticus, that's the, the, the priest and the, the temple have changed. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. I want us to take a, take a close look at this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says, But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, this is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and of the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? And then verse 15 goes on to say, And for this cause, he, that being Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise 
of eternal inheritance. And so the priest and the sacrifice, different today than they were in Old Testament days, yet there's still a priest and there's still a sacrifice. The priest being Christ himself, a much better priest. The sacrifice being his perfect spotless blood, a much better sacrifice. So yeah, things are better here and today than, than what was handed down in the Old Testament on that front. There's still something special about the place where a holy God is. Just like when Moses approached that burning bush, just as God calls us today, hey, there's a, there's a priest that desires a relationship with you. You can come and fellowship with a holy God. There's still something special about that place of fellowship with a holy God that just like it did for Moses, requires some change on our part to effectively fellowship and dwell with Him. There's still something special about that place where God is. And God still expects us to be holy. Lest you think that the many places in Leviticus where it said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I, the Lord your God, am holy. Therefore be ye also holy. Um, that's not the only places. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Peter himself says this. Uh, Peter clearly states it in his epistle. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because as it is written... Be ye holy, for I am holy. Peter gives his input on, hey, yep, God is holy. He says, be ye holy, just because God is, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's not just what we say. What that means, what that word there means is all manner of our lifestyle. All our, 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 basically our, our walk and everything that we do. Our conversation, the, the word in the in the Greek, there is anastrophe, um, probably butchered that one, but the meaning is in, in your manner of life, uh, in your daily walk, in your conduct, and in your behavior, in your deportment. That's the conversation that Peter said, be holy in all of those, your manner of life, your deportment, your, the things you say, your, uh, put it on our vernacular, our, our, basically our daily walk and our attitudes. Let's be holy on those fronts, what Peter is encouraging there in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. So this instruction, this, still, this call in the New Testament day, this message of Peter uh, to, to, the, uh, to the, uh, the strangers, as he called it in the, in the beginning of his, his epistle, um, but Christians, um, the instruction is to be holy, and it's because God that desires fellowship with us because He is holy. We can attain that fellowship with Him. Well, how can I, how can I do that very thing? If, if Peter says, be holy in all manner of conversation, uh, in basically your whole lifestyle and everything, every manner of your life, your conduct, your behavior, um, how can I be that holy in all manner of my conversation? How can I live a holy life? Anybody ever question that? And, and, it, and it may not take long to, to just be exhausted and say, I, I just can't do it. But that's not so. Is God going to ask you or, yea, command you to do something that you're just simply not capable of doing? Absolutely not. Doesn't mean it's easy. How many of you instructed your kids, Dad, I can't do it. And, you know, can't's not a word. And you, particularly if it's sons, which I have no experience with. I've got three girls. But, <laughs> but uh but um, you, you, boy, you just have those answers for them, right? I mean, can't's not a word. Can't, can't never got anything done. You, God's not going to require for us to be holy without having that same attitude. You can be holy. All right, well, think about the day that you were saved. All right, upon receiving Him, whether it be at an old-fashioned altar, whether it be at home or 
on the street because someone just loved you and had the, uh, had the desire to pray for you for weeks or months or years on end. And, but, but consider the day that you were saved. Were you holy? Amen. Did, did holiness exist within you? I mean, were you completely free and spotless of sin? And I mean, God just washed all of that away. I'd say that's holiness. That's as good as it gets right there. Um, back to first, uh, uh, if you have your finger in 1 Corinthians um, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going I'm to read out of my notes here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now let's land back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because Paul, uh, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 6, he says it yet another way. He actually details some of the things that we're forgiven of. Maybe this is some of us. Maybe we can find ourselves here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty wide paintbrush. And then Paul goes on to say, And such were some of you. That's a past tense word there. Such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified by the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, that, that's what occurred at salvation. No matter what the sin was, no matter what He forgave you of, just the fact that He cleansed us and He washed us of our sins, you're made holy. Uh, the word here is uh, righteous. Uh, or a righteousness. We existed in righteousness at that, at that very day, uh, having been made holy by a holy God. Um, again, we're made righteous at salvation, and God wants us to live a, a holy life on a daily basis. So we can at least establish in the saved's life that at the time they were saved, there was a time when they were holy. And then it, it didn't, it perhaps wouldn't take long for some, maybe days or weeks, um, for others maybe hours or minutes, but sin's going to creep in. Your flesh, your cre God knew that when He created you, but He still died for you. Amen. He knew that we would still sin, and He still asks us to maintain a life of holiness. Now, He's not going to ask you to do that if He doesn't give the provisions for that, Right? So what Peter is encouraging here and what Paul says in the many places it was said in the Old Testament that sinful man can have a relationship with a holy God is not an impossibility. We just have to know and understand what God's Word says on how we maintain that holiness. And quite profoundly, it's, it's called on so many times um, because of that constant urge to return to that unrighteous behavior. We're flesh. We need to go to God for forgiveness. In 1 John 1, 9 says what? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Meaning He takes the sin, does away with it, makes you righteous. The righteousness is an attribute of God that's only because of His holiness. Man, He asks us to be holy because He's holy and He makes the provision to do that. Now God, you know, Paul writes a lot in Romans chapter 6 about being dead to sin and, all, and, and other places in chapter 6 uh, through, through 12 about, about uh, being, not being slaves to sin, about getting victory over sin. 
God would not have us to continue in unrighteousness, but rather to dwell in holiness because He's holy. Um, But yet when we do, we have His promises that we can confess it and repent of it. We confess it. He'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, thus reinstating that holiness. Wow, that's good, right? But now are you content to say, what, it, what was it Paul said? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? The, the grace of God says, I'm going to, basically, the grace says you can claim, 1 John 1, 9, you ask forgiveness and I'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's God's grace that does that. And Paul said, look, don't keep going back to that. And he gave the illustration of crucifying the flesh. We must consider ourselves dead to sin. We need to employ all of his instruction on that. And basically don't require God to forgive us over and over and over. We must decide to grow and and grow towards holiness. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Understand this. Paul understood it. I get it. God understands it that we have a draw back towards unrighteous behavior, but there are ways to avoid that unrighteous behavior. Many, many times, I've heard far more messages and sermons and even read and used myself that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and just the glory that's there in knowing this, no matter what that sin is, you may have been there, but He forgave you of it. And I draw short. I, I stop right there. Boy, there's some goodness in 12 through 20. And that's what I want us to take the last few minutes just looking at the goodness that's there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. So if you're there, I'm going to read it in its entirety, then we'll revisit a few of them. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, And all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the the Lord, and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For the two saith, He shall be one flesh. But he, had, he that has joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit." Given the fact that we have this propensity to return to sin, and not, don't exempt yourself because, well, the sin that I return to is not fornication, so what Paul says right there in verses uh, 12 through 20 doesn't apply to me. It's not so. Sin is sin, and you are, you are uh, sinning against God. If you harbor that, that sin, whatever that be in your body, there's separation between you and, and He that we must get right. Now... Um, there's four principles I want to draw from this thing. Four things that I, I contend that even though we have the, 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 um, the propensity to return to sin, God has called us to be holy. He provided the provisions for holiness at salvation. He provided the fact that if we were to confess our sins, He'll forgive us our sins and restore that holiness or that righteousness, right? But what about that draw? How do I, 
not do, not return to those sins, how do I gain victory over that? Well, you have to know what your shortcomings are, right? We talked about temptation in Sunday school today. Know the fronts that the old devil is going to attack you on, so be educated about that, and then you might just be better prepared to withstand against it. Well, how do I live a holy life? How do I maintain that holiness that He requires, that He requires of me because He is holy and I'm to be holy as He is holy? There are things that we can do uh, uh, that to, uh, to help us, help, help guide us, and we can help, help uh, point us in that direction of holiness. Um, I've, I've drawn a few of these things from, from a book that we've been going through in Sunday school, a book called The Principal Life by Dr. Arby Ouellette. Uh, and, 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 and he draws four applications out of this 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. First thing of th- that I want us to see is this, that he, that he proclaimed, is that a holy life is free from that which enslaves. You might have picked up on my pause on verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul understood that, look, there, there may be some things that others consider sin that have no grounds in Scripture that are sin, and it's not these that he just listed or that he's about to. It's a separate thought about, look, there are some things that God's Word doesn't specifically say is sin. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and those things I'm not going to be brought under the power of. And the, 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 the thing I want us to glean out of that verse is Paul understood the, the, the drawback to bondage. Right? If, if, there are, if there are things that are, that, that are sin to us and we're bound to that, we just, you know, I, the, as Paul said elsewhere, the, the things that I would do, those, those I don't do, the things that I would not, those I do because of the flesh that's in me. Don't be a slave to that sin that, 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 uh, that is keeping you unholy. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.12, I will not be brought under the power of any. Avoid anything. Here's how you, can, how you can not be bound to those things. Avoid anything that has the propensity, that has the ability to, to bind you. Think about these activities that you might be about to, to partake in or inclined to do or your friends want you to do or that you're considering doing on the weekend or whatever the case may be. Does that activity have the possibility to be enslaving to you and, and avoid it if possible? Uh, avoid it at all costs. We're commanded to be controlled by the Holy Spirit not to be controlled by our habits or by our flesh. Well, the second thing we can do, look at verses 15 through 18. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18 again. It says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. I'm going to stop there. Um, See, God talks about our, our, our flesh and He talks about our spirit. Uh, and, and, and we cannot separate those two. We cannot say, look, I'm, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm going to act like a Christian. I'm going to read my Bible. And, and these sins that I'm doing, that's, those are sins in the flesh, and they're really not sins of the Spirit. You can't separate the two. Paul spent too much time here iterating the fact that, look, we are both body and spirit. God created us body and spirit. Verse 16 says, What, know ye not that he which is joined in harlot is one body? For the two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So how can you, saved by him, redeemed by his blood, the Holy Ghost indwelling you, right? He lives within us. We are, we are, we are joined to God. Paul, Paul, what Paul is saying is don't take that beautiful union there and corrupt it with things of the flesh. It's not true. We are flesh and spirit both. Preserve them both. 
Commit yourself to purity on the spiritual level as well as on a physical level. A holy life is also a surrendered life. 1 Corinthians 19-20. through 20. There's two things I want to draw out of these two verses. First, it's a surrendered life. Verse 19 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Consider this for a moment, alright? we got a um, Bible school comes along. And boy, the workers come out for Bible school, right? Vacation Bible school, there's a lot that goes on. I mean, there is a 20-foot dinosaur in this auditorium in just a matter of days. And, and don't get, you come experience work for Vacation Bible School, uh, there's a lot to get done that, that needs to get done, right? Uh, and everybody has an opinion on how it should get done, right? And, and uh, for those of you that have helped in Vacation Bible School, are the opinions always the same? Right, so someone has to surrender. It's a a big word, but look, it's not my way. You know what, let's do it that way. Let's go down that path. And then uh, maybe that doesn't work, the wheels fall off of it, and hey, let's try another path, right? Sometimes we have to put ourselves aside, we have to surrender. And and I mean, that's an illustration of surrender, but what we do in our spiritual body, again, verse 19 and 20, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. The things that we are enticed to do in our flesh, if we were to surrender and realize, this is not my body that I'm tempted to do these things with. This is His. I am bought with a price. I need to live a surrendered life and recognize that. And I can be more prone, more inclined to be faithful to Him to maintain that life of holiness. That might just help you looking at what your temptations are, looking at what might be drawing you away from holiness to realize, look, it's not mine to do anyways. I'm joined to Him and I'm to glorify Him in my body. So consider a life of surrender in that. A holy life is also this, a life that's lived with another purpose And that's a purpose for glorifying God. Again, look at verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul brings it back together right there in verse 20. He talked about how we're one with Christ. He talked about how we, what happens to the flesh when we join with an harlot or when we we go down the path of sin. And uh, um, he, he brings it all back together and says, look, you're both body and spirit. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And, and maybe if we focus and spend more time on glorifying God, we'll be less inclined to go down the paths that lead towards unholiness. There's a lot of goodness and a lot of truth if we just dig into what Paul has said right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, and again, 1 Peter 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy for I am holy. Just like Moses recognized there in Exodus chapter 3, there's something special about the place where a holy God is. And that holy God has saved you. If He saved you, He's made you holy and He invites you to walk and commune with Him in holiness tantamount to His holiness. He's made the provisions and He's given us His Word to help us with practical advice on how we can go about and maintain that, that holiness. I don't contend that it's easy. Man, it's not. And again, I mean, we couple this. If you're in the, our Sunday school class this morning, I think it just bolts right onto that lesson this morning. You've got to know what those temptations are and avoid them. It's not easy. 
This life of holiness is not easy, but he still called us to it. He's still required. If you're going to live that life of holiness, which he commended that we do, he made the provisions for it. But like Moses, there might need to be a change or two in our lives. And what Paul said about in all our conversation, every area of our life might require a change. Maybe just one does. But if we consider the meaning of that, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, um, let's make sure that our thoughts re- reflect His holiness. Um, what, uh, let's make sure that our, our speech reflects His holiness. Our appearance, our conduct, whether it's outward or inward, we need to make sure that that all reflects God's holiness. Why He wants to dwell with us We're to be holy because He is holy and He does desire to dwell with us. There might just be some things that need to be changed to maintain His desire for us to be holy. Think about those things if you will. Gary, I'm going to turn that back over to you and and the musicians. But God desires that we be holy. And He's not going to ask us uh, to do anything at all that He hasn't provided us the means or the way to do, including something as tall and as big in order as as being holy. Let me ask you all to stand, if you will, just in a prayerful manner. Gary's